listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Creeper alert! This episode of Rootbound is brought to you by Parthenosis's Quinquefolia, aka Virginia Creeper, the one clingy creeper you won't want to avoid. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rootbound. I am the host of the show, and my name is Steve. Rootbound is the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, and each week I invite a guest who joins me on the show to share with us all about a plant that means something to them, and then I share with a guest about a plant that means something to me, and through this process we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. Now this episode is one of those special episodes where we're actually only going to be talking about one plant. And this is a plant that I really don't have a lot of experience with, but it is a plant that I've been fascinated with. And I think the like mystery and legend surrounding this plant are really, really fascinating. And so I'm really excited to uh, talk to our guest about uh, this plant today. And so let's just get right to it. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here. Well, you're very welcome. Do you want to share with the audience the very special plant we're going to be talking about today? Yes. So I'm excited to talk about this very special plant. This very special plant is called Panax cinquefolius, also known as American ginseng. Wonderful. I, I This is a plant that I've, I've known about for a while, but I, it's still quite a mystery to me. And so I'm really excited to hear about it from you. And maybe let's start with why is this plant meaningful to you? Well, so um, ginseng is not just mysterious to you. It's a mystery to everyone, (laughs) including me. Honestly, the more I learn about it, the less I feel like I know. And Mm. so I can certainly say that the mystery really captures the plant. I mean, it's a very mysterious plant is what I'm trying to say. And why it's meaningful to me changes from moment to moment. Sometimes it can be... You know, the fact that this amazing plant is just a fascinating and mysterious forest botanical. Mm-hmm. And other times it could be because of the um, the long, <laughs> the long reaching roots of myths and legends that ginseng and other very closely related similar species, you know, have have created. <laughs> I think. One thing that I think uh, comes to mind to me is that, you know, I learned about American ginseng, I think, really late. And I think my impression through, like, most of my life was that ginseng is a, is a plant from Asia. And so I wonder if at the very beginning of the show, if you can maybe, like, talk about that. Like, what is the difference between these plants? I mean, yeah, and, and why why is this kind of, why do we have this understanding, I think, in, in I think most when common knowledge is that this is an Asian plant? I think that's a great thing to clarify, because there is a lot of um, interest and also a lot of questions about that. So, usually the ginseng that a lot of people are familiar with and, you know, use medicinally is usually either Asian ginseng that has been that is nowadays farmed or american Mm -hmm. ginseng which is you know the american species it's native to north america it's similar but different 
um, to Asian ginseng. And it's also um, commonly kind of equated with each other in some ways. So you have you have this very time-honored and common usage coming from Asia for this Asian ginseng. And then, you know, right now, pop, what's gaining in popularity is American ginseng for medicinal use over there. And so these two, these two plants are often conflated. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting to pick them apart because, um, you know, one is, one is native to Asia, Far East Asia, Northern um, China. And it's a really fascinating plant that grows very similarly to where it grows here in the Appalachians of North America. Interesting. Okay. So that, that, there's actually some history questions mm-hmm. that I have a little bit of understanding about that I, I think I want to get into mm-hmm. later. I think I think the first thing I want to get back into is a little bit of like, when did you first become aware of American ginseng? And what do you remember that time when you were like, oh, this is something, this is a plant that I am into? Because if the audience doesn't know, I think Sarah is as well known as to being like an advocate for ginseng in lots of places. So wh- what was that moment for you that you were like, oh, this is a plant that I want to learn more about? Great question. So... I first learned about ginseng through studying Chinese herbal medicine. And mm. I learned, I mean, it's hard to miss in that, in that area, you know, it's like in all of all of the herbal medicines that have existed in the world, ginseng is just so famous and interesting and potent among other things. Mm-hmm. So um, I kind of came, I, I, I kind of came to American ginseng from a slightly unusual direction, which is from, you know, that kind of study of Chinese medicine. And then that moment you ask (laughs) about Mm -hmm. was when I realized that, you know, the Appalachians have their own native ginseng plant. And I was just kind of like, whoa, is is this the same plant? So all at once and kind of like one moment I was looking down onto the ground and realize that this plant this unassuming very small botanical forest you know forest botanical is actually in some ways kind of like this uh root of myth and legend i know you live in the appalachian tower is that where you're from um i'm not i'm from north carolina but you know the the mountains uh-huh. the mountains are certainly my home and have been for a long time and you know ginseng did not grow where i grew up but now that I'm here in the mountains, you know, I see it, I see it more and more, which is great. And, you know, it also brings up the interesting fact that, you know, ginseng has very specific needs as far as environment and habitat and the Appalachian mountains, are, you know, are its home. Very interesting. Yeah, actually, I want to get to that next. But I think the one thing that you said that's really interesting to me is that, um, and this is there's been a few plants like this in the show. It's where where you you don't realize it's there. You know, maybe you can go for a long time in your life, and then you're like, oh wait, that plant is here too. Oh wow! And it, it's just so interesting how like how things like that happen. You know, for sure. <laughs> a lot of people don't talk about ginseng, even though they know about it or they have it for obvious reasons. That being, you know, ginseng is very valuable. It's the most valuable wild medicinal plant in North America. So long here in in the Appalachians, um, you know, you don't talk about ginseng. (laughs) 
What happens in the forest stays in the forest. <laughs> Interesting. I think we're going to get into a little bit of that later too. I mean, there's there's so many aspects there of this are. plant. Um, but let's let's get let's let's describe the plant. I've never seen it in person. I've seen pictures, but for someone who's never seen ginseng, and I think there's a surprising aspect of this, of, as of kind of like how maybe small and unassuming it is. Can you describe the plant for someone yes, who's never seen it? Yes, I think it? that unassuming is a great place to start because you know it's not. It's not like a tomato or an onion or a flower, you know, typically called by humans for its favorite part, <laughs> right? You know, mm -hmm. it's not, yeah, it's not a, fr it's not a fruit. It's not a large flower. It's a, it's a small green herbaceous perennial plant. So, you know, it comes up in the spring and it dies back in the autumn and then is dormant through the winter. And all of the roots are still under there, you know, kind of invisible until next <laughs> next spring. And, you know, it comes up and it's very small and green. But one of the uh, most interesting things about ginseng is how it changes from year to year. So ginseng mm. almost has these, like, generations and this life cycle that's really fascinating and very unique. I You sent me some pictures uh, a little bit before, and like I said, I don't think I, I I had ever really seen a picture actually this clear. And the first thing that stood out to me, and we did an episode about this plant a while back, I feel like if I was walking in the woods, I might just think this is like a small Virginia creeper or something popping up. And and because it's got the I guess the chinquafolia or chinquafolia name, it means it has five leaves. Um, and so just I'm looking at a picture, and it just looks like a little just a plant with five leaves, uh, in kind of this palm fat manner. So. Yeah, what what do you, what do you have to say about that? Like like it's yeah, it its description is pretty like subtle, I guess. Well, so yeah, maybe first it would be great to, you know, talk about the many different ways that ginseng can present itself. And you're right, it would be so easy to walk by. In fact, many people do. In fact, many people look for it and still can't find it. And some people it takes quite a while to earn their ginseng eyes, so to speak. And um, oh. it does look like Virginia creeper. It looks like poison ivy. It looks like, um, you know, so many other plants. And yeah, you really, you have to really kind of study it to be able to see it, you know, on the forest floor, which is really kind of interesting. But, you know, I think synquifolius, meaning the five leaves, is a really great place to start because it is palmate. It has the five leaves on there, at least the mature specimens do. And ginseng also um, is commonly referred to, you know, by its prongs. So um, mm. when young ginseng comes up, it can be one prong. It can be two prongs. It's not usually two prong until it gets a little older, but you know, usually the mm. very youngest of ginseng that are that have just germinated that are coming up for the first few years are usually just a single prong with three leaves. As they get older, ah. yeah, as they get older, sometimes they can have two prongs, and sometimes they can have two prongs and maybe a, a like a just a couple berries on it you know during you know in the in the late summer early autumn and then as the plant gets older you know it'll have three and four or more prongs so it's it's very mutable it changes from year to year the same plant changes from year to year 
And that's uh, really something interesting for people to wrap their mind around. And anybody who's been in the woods, you know, um, looking for ginseng <laughs> can certainly regale you with several tales of, you know, being tricked. You know, they see a red berry. It's actually a jack in the pulpit. <laughs> Um, you know, mm -hmm. um, being fooled by fool saying or, you know, Virginia creeper, etc. Very interesting. Now, one, one thing you've kind of been mentioning, and I think that stood out to me when I heard about ginseng is you normally when you think of these like little plants that are small, you think they're like, uh, a, an annual, mm -hmm. but ginseng is, I guess, quite long lived, right? Ginseng is quite long lived. So, um, it's an herbaceous perennial. It dies, it dies back in the autumn. It comes back, you know, each spring. Although, um, <laughs> each spring, I'm going to say in quotation marks, because uh, sometimes <laughs> okay. it doesn't. It skips, sometimes it skips, it skips, a year skips or years. Although, um, wow. you know, we're still learning through research a lot about that. And, you know, the way that ginseng, mm. You know, can sometimes be dormant the way that, you know, seeds have delayed germination. So ginseng very much kind of chooses its own timing. And, you know, sometimes it might get damaged early in the year and, and won't grow back. And so sometimes it'll dis disappear for the year. <laughs> um, Interesting. You know, and that, uh, you know, botanically, you know, it's not an indeterminate kind of growth so it's like you know a lot of things like a tomato or something you know it's like you pinch it off mm -hmm. or, you know it can keep growing you know from the end there but with ginseng once it gets damaged or stepped on it and it dies back it won't come back that year it'll wait until the next year wow so it's unusual and fairly unique in that way um and then and like I guess that makes it quite sensitive too. I yes, guess right. Like, very, like, very sensitive yeah. to environment, habitat, wildlife changes <laughs> in its surroundings. Absolutely. Very interesting. That that's super interesting. And how how old does I mean like how old can ginseng get? How old is it when you first start to like notice it? Um, yeah, what we're we talking about is, I mean, I, I find that super fascinating about like little plants and actually can be like quite old, but like how old is old? For so, um, interestingly, I believe I have found, uh, documentation of one of the oldest ginseng plants in North America that was harvested and it was over a hundred years old. Whoa. Over 100 years old. Wow. So, I mean, I mean, I was talking to someone recently about this, and we we look at, like, we think an old plant is like a tree. That's right. right. <laughs> uh, and, and uh, but I think, I mean, there's some other examples like this. I think, you know, ramps are similar, maybe not quite as old. But I think there's a whole world of these plants that have this age that we just kind of don't look at. And that, that 100-year-old little plant is pretty. Tales of Asian ginseng have it several hundred years old i don't know how much truth there is to that i mean that could be you know really sure. a part of the myths and legends but you know one of the amazing things about ginseng is that you know medicinally one of its you know properties is to promote longevity so you know mm -hmm. it's that very thing about ginseng um you know being so long-lived why humans use it as medicine Interesting. The other thing that comes to mind here for me, and this is just, this may not be right, but this is my imagination. You know, I think if you're, 
if you're a plant like ginseng and you're you're small, you're in the deep forest because mm-hmm. that's where it grows, right? Like you got to be in a a deep forest. Then this strategy of like you can't get much light, so you got to be really like in uh, economical mm. with the way you photosynthesize, Definitely. right? And I, and and so yeah, that's super. So I believe the term is shade obligate. <laughs> uh, you know, and ah. you're right. Yeah, I mean, this is not like a full sun photosynthesizing machine so much, you know, as other, you know, like annual, you know, like food producing crops as we think of them, as we, you know, see them these days. And so, yes, ginseng does have to be, I mean, very conservative in that way. It may... Once it gets damaged, it's not going to be sending up new shoots. It's not going to be growing back that year. And oftentimes it really does take a whole entire, you know, cycle, you know, of dormancy. And then, you know, and and part of this too is because ginseng, it's a rhizome. And so each year, Mm -hmm. this rhizome sends up a bud. And interestingly enough, Mm -hmm. the rhizome is how people actually um, age ginseng roots once they've been dug Mm. it's impossible to do or nearly impossible to do you know from the tops of the plants and you have to really Mm. kind of dig in and kind of uncover you know the age of this of this plant Mm -hmm. you know by um inspecting its its rhizome or growth buds or twirl as they call it down here in the southern appalachians um Mm -hmm. there's lots of different you know things that that's called so um you have the top of the plant um depending on the maturity of that specific plant you know you could have a very you know small three three leaf top you could have a large four prong is you know what sometimes Mm. a lot of people like to talk about four prong ginseng usually they're the ones producing red berries in the summer and autumn Mm-hmm. And then you have the the stem going down into the ground. You'll have this rhizome, which is a collection of root <laughs> and, you know, like bud scars. And then below that, you'll have the roots. <laughs> mm. And root morphology is really interesting, especially for ginseng. But one of the, as you asked for dazzling details, is that mm-hmm. um, ginseng is oftentimes known to be human shaped sometimes. So oh. it's also called the man root. I like to think of it as a human root because I don't, I'm not sure about uh, the assigning sure. yeah. genders, uh. you know, kind of thing. I don't want to speak uh-huh. for the plant, but, um, you know, certainly there have been some really amazing and beautiful specimens um, collected, you know, through his history. And uh, some of the more interesting ones and valuable ones are known to look like people. Interesting. Wow. I, I don't think I knew that, but there is, I think, was isn't like there's that mythical plant, mandrake, that has that kind of human shape. Uh, that's really interesting. I didn't realize that that was uh, an aspect of, of ginseng as well. Um, all right. Oh, man, I have so many <laughs> questions. Let's maybe transition into... I think how do people use the plant, and then and then maybe I think there's let, let's start with that. Like, cause I I I'm, I don't know. I my only experience with ginseng for like use is like seeing it on like various food and medicinal products listed. You know, it's it's from everything from like you know iced teas to like bottles of medicine or whatever. You see that word a lot. 
but I don't really know like what it's used for, what its properties are, and why it's so in demand as um, a medicinal plant. Yeah, well, so, I mean, ginseng is certainly one of the things you would see on many shelves around the world. Tea, energy drinks, mm. all manner of uh, performance-enhancing, you know, uh, kind of medicinals. <laughs> also, interestingly enough, Asian ginseng has a history of being used quite like, um, almost like a vegetable in the way that people cook with it. So, mm. I mean, sort of like a medicinal vegetable. Um, one of the more interesting ones is um, samgaitang, which is Korean chicken soup with ginseng in it. And it's actually oh, uh, wow. consumed on some of the hottest days of the year. So around, you know, like uh, really hot, hot summer days because it's adaptogenic and or has adaptogenic properties, I should say. Even though, you know, you're drinking this kind of hot chicken soup with, you know, medicinal herbs in it, you know, it kind of cool, it cools your body down by equalizing your temperature. Interesting. You know, so I've heard. Wow. <laughs> that sounds tasty. Yeah, it, it is, it is really, oh, uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, I guess maybe, you know, you could probably search for like Korean ginseng chicken soup and find some interesting cool. recipes yeah. from that, but... And, and and what what is used from it? Is it the root, or are there other parts? I mean, there's leaves, there's berries. What is the part that, that people eat? Well, so traditionally, that would be the root. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it can be dried, it can be uh, fresh, it can be preserved in alcohol, mm -hmm. it can be, you know, just kind of like preserved fresh, and then, you know, chopped into, you know, recipes and other things, although, you know, this is not necessarily just like a common vegetable so much. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, it is very prized and definitely, you know, big as a gift. So um, a lot of times, you know, ginseng mm -hmm. is something that you would, you know, give to your parents <laughs> as, as a gift and other uh, things. Yeah, that's so interesting to think of a plant. It's so valuable that it's a gift. And so like, just to, you know, kind of hit on the top, you know, like medicinal uses of ginseng. So it does have adaptogenic properties. And adaptogen is kind of hard to define in some ways because it just kind of basically is a tonic that supports your body's homeostasis, homeostasis and general mm. health. So it's mm -hmm. like if you if you take it and you need more rest, maybe it helps you sleep. If you take it and you need more mm. energy, perhaps it helps, you know, your body to, you know, get to a place that can, you know, help you maintain energy levels. Other really popular uses are immunity. That rings a bell. I think that's yes. what I feel like I in the back of my mind, that's what I I, th I thought it was. Yeah, so is. immunity and, you know, recovery and convalescence. Um, also people take it to help kind of protect their hearts more recently mm. it has been under research for helping with diabetes and mm. also you know to help your energy levels and also skin health you know among other things it's really a general health tonic and then the other thing that, that brings up is i just i just google this we're talking because i was like oh wait does the i love the names of things i love the etymology and when you said Panax, it's like, does that have to do with like panacea or, or something? And apparently I just Googled that Panax is, yeah, it means like cure-all. That's right. Yeah, so. cure-all, you know, yeah. that's from the Greek, panacea. And mm -hmm. so interestingly enough, 
uh, something that's interesting is the reason why there's two similar species in very different parts of the world is from mm. the way that the once upon a time the supercontinent was connected so there's also the pangea uh. pain pangaea oh, yeah. you know kind of effect um which is its own fascinating at least to me <laughs> I kind of yeah, study, of, you know, how how species have, you know, broken off and adapted, you know, in their specific environments all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. Super interesting. I, speaking of history, maybe maybe not going back that far. <laughs> That's I, pretty far. Uh, being cognizant of time. But but I do know that ginseng in the U.S. has a pretty fascinating history. Like, I know little bits of it. Like, could you talk about, like, how it was first kind of... Uh, you know, I, I discovered is definitely not the right word, but discovered by the by the colonists yes. who who came to this continent, and then what happened there, and 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 get, talk about that because I I know little inklings of it, but I don't know the details. Yeah, well, that's a really great thing to talk about, and I'm gonna preface what I say by the fact that I'm not an expert in history, but I can certainly mm -hmm. recommend some really great books that deep dive into the history of ginseng in America and elsewhere. And when it comes to, you know, this topic, it's kind of a question of where you want to start. The reason why American ginseng became an instant hit through international trade is because Panax ginseng has such a deeply rooted history in, in China and Asia and Korea and other places. The way that ginseng w was discovered internationally in America mm -hmm. is because there was this priest... Jean-Pierre Lafiteau, and he had been studying the texts and books of um, other internationally traveling, you know, missionaries, and saw that, you know, this one really interesting, culturally important species in China was ginseng. And so he, he among other things, was looking for, you know, similar, if not the same species here in North America and was able to locate a specimen of Panax syncopholius with the help of native peoples. So I'm not sure what to say exactly about after that because, you know, it clearly it was almost instantaneously uh, very valuable and was almost instantly exploited and um, Interesting. to China. And it was really important because, you know, here was this thing that North America had that, you know, was of great interest and value. And so that's kind of a, a very bad telling of American ginseng's history. So, I mean, that's what's super fascinating to me about a particular like so long ago, how a international trade can grow and can grow so quickly and the demand for this product. And, and there, there's, I think, a, you know, a similar story with a few other plants that I can think of. The main one that comes to mind is sassafras, which we talked about an episode a while ago that, that, that got this really explosive market really pretty quickly. Um, yeah, and it just kind of, you know, we think about international trade being so easy today, but we don't think about it being like that. And, like, we don't necessarily think about international demand driving, driving, uh, you know, natural resource exploitation half a world away in, in, in the 1700s. But but this is a great example of that, I think. And it's really, really fascinating to think about. Yeah, I think it's due to 
panax ginseng being so important in herbal mm -hmm. medicine you know for thousands of years uh, and so here was this panacea this cure-all and you know unfortunately it was exploited there too and mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um lots of people slow growing plants uh, mm -hmm. popular medicine you know it's pretty easy to put together you know uh what would happen with that combination and so it began it, it's happening here too and you know to this day ginseng is the most valuable north american medicinal herb and while it's functioned as an economic backstop for so many families for so long which you know is mm -hmm. is really important and you know must not be understated Mm -hmm. um, it's time for us to put our stewardship hats on <laughs> and start being more responsible where we can and how we can. And a lot of that includes education. A lot of that includes research. A lot of that includes, you know, conservation through cultivation, you know, forest farming, mm. because th there, there's lots of lessons that we can take oh, from ginseng's past and the history and its use and its exploitation and apply that to so trying to help create a better future for it and um as my dear friend <laughs> jim mcgraw likes to say ginseng has so much medicinal potential it would be a real shame to lose that at this time when we're just now mm. being able to understand medicinally its benefits and potential that that i think is really well said and i think perfect to translate to the next part which this is something that blew my mind too and i didn't i think most people don't think about this that there is poaching of ginseng in 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 the united states and i wonder if you talk about that i, I don't think i don't think the average person thinks about poaching of small plants in their day-to-day -day lives but it's a big deal yeah, right? it is um and so um there's been uh, a lot of thought and talk about uh, calling calling it what it is, which is ginseng theft. You know, poaching. Mm. It's like okay, so a plant a plant gets poached. You mm -hmm. know, is that a big deal? Yeah. Do I care? Does it affect me? But you know, when you start calling it theft, it kind of it, it kind of affects a change in people's mentality mm -hmm. and understanding of what's actually happening. And so, mm -hmm. um, ginseng theft is and has been common for a very long time here in Appalachia, um, whether it's known to the rest of the world or not. And mm -hmm. um, on some levels, there have been a lot of people for a very long time who have been harvesting ginseng and planting the seeds in a legacy mm -hmm. mentality that is, you know... Mm -hmm. They, you know, back in the older, you know, back in the older days, you know, people were keenly aware that, you know, you have to plant seed in order to be able to harvest the plant, you know, in years to come. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that, before I go into, you know, like ginseng theft on a massive scale, 
like we're experiencing Mm -hmm. now, I really do want to say that there have been a lot of people who have done it right for a long time. You know, they've stewarded Mm -hmm. these plants, whether it be on their own property or, you know, like common property, you know, because they harvested it and understood that cycle. Now, yeah. Um, it's hard, it's hard for, it's difficult for me to talk about, but, um, several years ago, there were some reality shows that really shined a light on (laughs) this fictional Appalachian ginseng culture. Uh It has, you know, brought a lot of attention, good and bad to ginseng, you know, since that Mm. time. And, um... I'm not going to say the names of the shows, but you can find Sure. Them. I, I wasn't aware of those. I, audience can find those, but I, I didn't know that was a thing. I guess it was like trying to follow in the, the steps of some of those like gold yeah, shows, you know, or that's something right. like that. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, yeah, in, in that same line, reality shows trying to tell a story. Anyhow, it was very unfortunate and um, yeah. really did not portray ginseng and the people who grow it and caretake it in a very good light. And, um, you know, since then, there's been a lot of interest in ginseng um, theft (laughs) and growing. (laughs) I mean, to be fair. Although, you know, one of the main challenges to growing it is protecting it. Because, Mm -hmm. you know... um, the theft is so rampant in many parts of Insing's native range that, you know, uh-huh. along with all the other challenges that ginseng, po- you know, like, uh, faces and poses to a grower, that is among uh-huh. the top of them. Um, that being, you know, you could put 10 years of work. And looking forward next year to, you know, actually harvesting your first, you know, major harvest of ginseng roots, which is commercially valuable and you've done everything right. And, you know, uh, the deer haven't eaten at all. And, you know, (laughs) suddenly you go visit your patch and it's all gone. There's just holes in the ground. And it's hard to capture in words how heartbreaking that is because, um, Mm. you know, so many times, you know, incalculable sometimes time and effort you know resources um family outings (laughs) seed planting (laughs) you know all of that has gone into this you know like plant population you know I, i i also want to say that you know a lot of people to just grow it because they think it sh- they, I mean, it needs to be here. So, you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. grow it too from the conservation standpoint, not just, you know, like the, the harvesting it eventually standpoint. And yeah. So, which is even more heartbreaking in some ways. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, that's really well said. And yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about it in both ways, both ways. Cause you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with harvesting a plant. That's what people do. We've been doing it forever, but there is this balance too. And I think if you're doing it the right way, you can find this balance and, 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 and harvest a plant, but also like steward it, like you said. But, um, I think when you have such a, uh, a high price and there's this demand, it's easy to get that skewed and go to this place where, well, you just want to get the, you just want to get the, the financial value out of it as fast as possible. 
And then with a plant with ginseng, like ginseng, it's not coming back pretty very quickly or or at all, right? And and so that that is, uh, I mean, I think probably one of the reasons that makes it more expensive is because it's so rare and takes so long to grow. But also why I think that theft is so devastating because um, it's it's going to take a really long time to recover that, you know. And if you think about it, like if you think about it, like if you clear cut a forest, I think people can visualize that. Like all those trees, those hundred year old, many year old trees are gone when you see a clear cut forest. But you don't think about that with those little tiny plants growing on the forest floor. And the same thing can happen to that population, right? If someone just strips it off. Yes. So um, I'm going to take a moment here to um, talk about wildamericanginseng.org. And on that sure. website is um, a lot of research, many publications concerning the study of threats to ginseng and its persistence. So ginseng is facing a lot of challenges these days. You know, humans are only one of those. Although, you know, several of mm. them are indirectly caused by you know, human activity. And you know, when it comes to threats, there's local threats to wild ginseng, and that is, you know, poor harvest practices. Um, although that can be addressed by you know, stewardship and education and you know, conservation through cultivation. Another, mm -hmm. you know, main kind of local level threat is overbrowse by deer. And so, mm. you know, if you think about how the deer population is exploding in many areas mm -hmm. due to the crunching of habitat and, you know, so, so many, so many reasons I can't even really get into it. Oh, uh, that is such, I mean, this is not a, an animal podcast, but that's something that I've thought yeah. about a lot before of like, uh, white-tailed deer and like their place in the environment and humans place in the environment and how that's all very skewed right because they're the the natural kind of way things happen is a lot more wild area but also humans hunting them right like we're, we're the pre we're like the prime predator and now we have this very different system where it's like smaller areas for the deers to be but then in a lot of those places there is no predator pressure anymore because it's either humans or wolves but those are not really engaging in the kind of predator right. predation that happens so you know it, it's it's yeah so it's a very uh strange problem um, a strange problem yeah. and, and delicate balance really and i mean that goes into mm -hmm. ecology and i have several colleagues that are brilliant and you know can talk at length about all of that but, you know, another factor when it comes to wildlife interacting with ginseng is actually loss of seed dispersers. So, you know, oh. on one hand, you have white-tailed deer who, you know, can sometimes browse ginseng if there's not a lot of other you know, tasty yummies that they would prefer in that mm -hmm. area. Um And then, you know, you have seed dispersers which are responsible for dispersing seeds, you know, taking them to different places, starting new patches of, of ginseng, so to speak. And the loss of those few species, well, in fact, uh, one, what, what one main species? one is the wood thrush, which oh, is wow. a songbird yeah. of the forest understory. Uh -huh. And um, it's migratory. And it is... Uh -huh. I believe at this point it is the only known disperser um, having wow. been discovered by, you know, research through McGraw Labs. Um, 
you know, other animals, they'll eat the berries and it won't pass and they won't survive the digestive tract of these animals. Interestingly enough, I realized when I saw a cardinal munching a ginseng seed, I was like, that's cracking the seeds. Cardinals have a seed uh... cracker beak. And so seeds not going to make it through that either. And so one of the the fascinating things about the wood thrush is that, you know, they eat, they're attracted to, and then eat the red berries. They'll fly to another place or they'll take cover and, you know, let's say like a spice bush plant, you know, uh, several feet away and then eat the berry and then cough up, cough the seed back up so it doesn't actually pass through their, you know, digestive tract. Wow. That is so interesting. I, and so that you're saying that is the only disperser that we know of now. Maybe there's some species that are extinct I, or something I'm, I'm like that. I'm not sure. But... All I know, what I can say for sure, is that wood thrush is a key species. You know that yeah. disperses. You know ginseng seeds, and um, which which is which is really important because I mean otherwise, mm. you know, it does not have other dispersal methods that can help it move around and migrate and find new places and you know ginseng really relies on its habitat unlike so many other plants that can really easily adapt and quickly to mm-hmm. different places ginseng mm-hmm. is a slow opportunist as my friend jen chandler you know uh, likes to say <laughs> in in her studies so um and research and so on top of Poor harvest practices, white-tailed deer, loss of seed dispersers. We also have invasive species coming in Uh, on these mm -hmm. regional levels and, you know, basically making the habitat inhospitable to these slow opportunist species like ginseng and other plants, too. Yeah. What what are some of those species? species i can imagine um we have a lot oh, there's of, so uh, many japanese stilt grass here that kind of takes over the whole thing barberry kudzu is a big one down here in the south and it's so painful watching this area in which i live the hickory nut gorge which is just a biological treasure be slowly consumed by kudzu and it's like i'll look up oh, a wow. valley <laughs> driving down the road and it's like just the whole expanse of it is just completely wasted by kudzu. And I'm like, how many wow. ginseng plants could that have supported? You know, how many yeah. you know, species of like these really amazing botanicals and culturally significant plants could that have grown there, you know, yeah. or have been wow. lost due to it? Yeah. Um, so then... <laughs> We have larger scale threats, climate change, habitat loss, Mm. habitat alteration, and several other things. And then you start getting into, you know, extirpation and extinction in local places. So extirpation is, you know, kind of becoming extinct on a local level. And I will certainly direct every, you know, anyone who wants to learn more about that to wildamericanginseng.org. There's a whole section of the website that really does a great job explaining and outlining a lot of the research done on, you know, threats to wild American ginseng. Yeah, that's probably that extirpation is probably a pretty easy thing to happen to ginseng, right? You get you get a you get kind of a 
combination of lack right. of, of uh, habitat, some people stealing it, some overbrows from deers, and uh, pretty soon you probably can have no ginseng in a pretty large area. Well, so these pop... So, <laughs> um, something I probably should have said earlier is that, you know, ginseng is is widespread across its range, but it, the populations... Mm-hmm of ginseng across that range really, really vary. And, I mean, a lot of times, mm. you know, we're talking about smaller populations. And so we're talking smaller populations with several and sometimes all of those stressors being put <laughs> on them. Mm. And, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't take but once a thief to yep. come in to absolutely devastate a population so bad it may not ever recover. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, uh, yeah. Wow. I mean, I think, I think this, this plant, and maybe this is one of the reasons why I could see someone like you getting so into the plant. Cause I feel like this plant has so many kind of lessons built <sighs> into it and so many kind of warnings yeah. built into it, right? About all the ways that humans are affecting the planet can be kind of talked about in this one plant. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say one of, <sighs> I'm going to go back to the start. Why ginseng is is meaningful to me, you know, why this the species just has my heart in all the ways. I think it really in some ways represents humanity in a microcosm. And mm. like humans, ginseng you know, with its human-shaped roots, sometimes with its incredible life cycle and almost generations um mm-hmm. of life and decades really long-lived lifespan <gasps> to i mean i think that for people it's been a blessing in all the ways you know medicinally mm-hmm. economically when it comes to it you know just bringing joy you know if you're like like so many people you're in the woods and you're like there it is i see it oh my god it just sparks this <laughs> you know um exclamation point in your mind you know for some people they don't go out and dig the roots they just go out there and you know try to find it and plant the seeds too i don't want to delve too much into the depressing side (laughs) sure and i want to really highlight the these blessings that the species is to humanity and also i feel like it's a really important reminder both for the plant and for us humans, how much we rely on our habitat and our environment and how much Mm -hmm. care needs to be taken of it in order to reach the potential of, you know, like our our future potential, not just in terms of medicine. If we are irresponsible with ginseng, we could lose it. Who knows what it might cure in the future? Or, you know, you know who knows yeah. what it could possibly achieve? It already has thousands of years of history, you know, in that way. Yeah. But also, ginseng, like humans, has to have very specific requirements. Well, I feel so connected and so many things in common with this plant... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I kind of also don't want to anthropomorphize it, too. But it's so hard to do. It's like the human root. In Chinese, it's renshen. And renshen being human root. But also, shen means spirit. So, to me, it's like the human spirit root. (laughs) 
and yeah. um yeah uh, i don't know it's it's really hard to capture what all it means to me It's a long way to the Delta From the North Georgia Hills And a tow sack full of ginseng Won't pay no traveling bill And I'm too old to ride the rails With the road along Well, I guess I'll never make it back to home My muddy water Mississippi Delta home That was a little bit of the song Ginseng Selvin by the bluegrass artist Norman Blake, and it was probably made more popular by the band Fish, and it's apparently a true story about an old man trying to make his fortune in the ginseng trade. Before we wrap up the show today, there's one thing that Sarah mentioned to me after we had stopped recording, which I found pretty interesting, and that is that you can also use the leaves of ginseng, and that might be a more sustainable way to uh, to you know get the benefit of this plant, and you know there I think there's still a place for uh, the use of the root, but at least you know from a personal perspective, when I think about how I use a plant, um, when you use a plant for the root, I feel like you need to be more careful, more respectful, think more about your impact because when you use a plant for its root, that plant has now. Uh, you know, given its life to you, essentially, that plant is no more, at least in that area. And so I think it is uh, um, something you have to consider even more and be more conscious of. And and there's, there's, there's place for that. But, you know, if you can use the leaf instead, in certain circumstances, that's a pretty good way to go. And I thought that was pretty interesting. So I'm really excited to kind of get out to a forest and, and try to see if I can get my ginseng eyes and spot some ginseng. Um, but in the meantime, that's going to wrap up our show. So thank you for listening. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Sarah Jackson. Sarah is a ginseng advocate, conservator, and educator, and you can learn more about ginseng at the great website that she has helped put together, which is wildamericanginseng.org, and you can also follow Sarah on Instagram at batcavebotanicals. If you like Rootbound and you want to help support the show, visit rootboundpodcast.com slash support to find all the ways you can help support the show, including supporting the show on Patreon. Rootbound is hosted by podcaster of myths and legend, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, see if you can earn your ginseng eyes and spot the elusive wild American ginseng. It creeps. It's clingy. It's Virginia Creeper.